Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to today's employer advisory session entitled Employee Benefits Outlook for 2021. My name is George Papagellis, VP of Customer Strategy and Solutions here at One Digital, and I'm with my esteemed colleagues, Bob Simeone, Managing uh, Principal of One Digital New York, and Jeff Cross, uh, Director of Client Services, One Digital Connecticut. This series of advisory sessions has been in response to a rapidly changing economic and health environment where business, uh, businesses and HR leaders have been forced to take really unprecedented actions to not only protect employees, but to protect their organizations. The luxury of deliberating on key decisions vanished virtually overnight with the pandemic, but the impact of those decisions will be key to business survival going forward. Today, we'll be focusing on big picture insights and trends in our discussion. And please keep in mind that questions related to uh, state mandates um, are best uh, are best discussed with your local One Digital consultant because they, they do have different nuances and slight differences and actually are changing pretty rapidly. So we sort of ask you to sort of call out those questions to your local folks. Um, at this time, as most of you probably know, it's nearly impossible to say with any amount of certainty what the economy and the business climate will look like in the next few days, the next few weeks, and certainly in the, in the next year. Um, however, we do know that out of sheer necessity, leaders such as yourselves uh, with whom we work have been laser focused and will continue to be laser focused on taking the steps necessary to keep your doors open, keep your workforce and their families protected, and really taking the, taking the, the, the steps to, to keep your uh, customers supported as well. Despite everything going on this year, pandemic, crazy election, et cetera, you all must stay laser focused on making the right benefit decisions for your business and for your employees. Employees today are faced with mounting levels of stress, as we'll talk about in a few minutes, regarding their benefits in particular and selecting the right plan. In fact, as Jeff and Bob both know, uh, there's lots of studies out there that suggest people um, typically kind of walk through their open enrollment decision-making fairly quickly without a lot of thought. But a recent study that we've seen show that four out of 10 employees want to see more information during open enrollment this year and in the future than they ever have in the past. So that's a big change. So before we dig in here, one last thing, business leaders, so all of you on the phone right now, must decide and must make very important decisions relative to your employee benefits. Many of these decisions will be influenced, as you know, by COVID-19, the outcome of the election, which is still being sorted out, the potential changes in healthcare, which we'll talk about in a few minutes, and the unique circumstances of your employees. These decisions will set the tone for your employer to employee relationship for years to come and will define your corporate brand. A comprehensive benefits program will play a critical role in employee satisfaction, in helping employees manage their stress levels, and in making them feel more stable, secure, and engaged at work. Okay, so with that as our backdrop, let's, let's begin. We have received many questions from all of you during the registration process and are receiving additional questions through the chat feature. Our team is answering these questions as quickly as possible 
And we have noticed some insights and trends that tie into our prepared, prepared materials. So let's discuss some of these now. Well, of course, Bob and Jeff, first and foremost, we've received a lot of questions and interest in the future of the ACA, which you would imagine due to the pending lawsuit before the Supreme Court um, and um, in a public option, which has been discussed at great, great length by it during the campaign during the Biden-Harris ticket. So guys, I know this is way too soon to give any real definitive guidance on what will happen uh, in 2021, but give us some thoughts, uh, some of your thoughts on, on the whole um, state of the ACA, uh, what might happen to it, this public option that Joe Biden in particular has been talking about a lot during the campaign. Hey, George, I think that's a good place to start as we're discussing a lot today with the employee benefits outlook for 2021. Uh, I really think it's important to first keep a watchful eye on developments in, in various levels of government. Um, Hopefully last Thursday, you were able to catch our, our uh, webinar, the post-election healthcare and benefits landscape. Um, if you missed it, it's okay. It's on our website. You can rewatch that. And a lot of time was spent discussing the post-election and the ACA. So specific to the Affordable Care Act, in fact, last week, we actually heard that a lot of conservative Supreme Court justices indicated and said, you know what? I'm not too likely to feel that we should dismantle the entire Affordable Care Act. It had some hesitation there. So we're obviously going to have to watch and see. This is probably many months away. In fact, the decision might not come down until likely June. Um, but it's certainly important to keep in mind as we look forward for 2021. Um, let's assume the Affordable Care Act remains in place or even if it doesn't, um, it's very likely the more popular provisions such as covering dependence to age 26, that's probably here to stay. So as we look forward to next year and beyond, keep in mind the ACA, it's still the law of the land. We certainly should include that mindset in our planning and our benefits outlook. So I think it's a good place to start. Um, certainly as an employer, I would say there's two things to really look forward at. Um, number one, keeping in mind the marketplace legislation and also trends. So we'll dig a little bit deeper into some legislation first. And I think a lot of forces right now um, there are that businesses need to contend with as we head into 2021. So first on legislation, George, you mentioned even the public option. Now, that's been a pretty popular talking point with Joe Biden. Um, but as of right now, and again, all subject to change, but as of right now, there's a strong possibility that Republicans, Republicans are going to maintain a slim margin of control in the Senate. And if that's the case, it's pretty unlikely that a public option will get passed. More likely what will happen is probably focusing on some strengthening of the ACA, uh, fixing some underlying provisions that have festered for the last several years. So we're gonna watch that carefully, um, but a public option is one of them. And even we've heard a lot in the campaign trail about Medicare expansion and what does that mean? And the potential to lower the age in which you're eligible for Medicare. So we're gonna wanna watch that. Um, as an employer, you certainly might be asking, well, how would these options, whether it be a public option or even Medicare expansion, how does it really impact my group plan? And we'll tell you, the research that we have done is that people who generally come off the employer plan 
when they are eligible for an employer plan and go on, for example, a, a, a government option, whether it be right now an individual plan or something else, generally these are the healthier risk pool. So we're going to want to watch as business leaders and understand, does that mean if there's a public option or a change in Medicare, that the result on the group plan might be a little bit different as well? So we're going to want to watch that. Let's also talk for a second about some non-legislation. So I'm actually going to show you, as you can see this slide right now, um, this is a recent study by the Kaiser Family Foundation. And you'll see the chart at the top of this page, which measures gross margins. So they look back the last seven years in the first half of the year from 2013 through 2020 and looked and measured the gross margins of plans. And you'll see the red arrow indicates that blue group plan line. And you'll see it's up to the right. So it's high. The margins have been pretty high. Similarly, on the chart on the bottom of the page, it's measuring loss ratios, medical loss ratios in the same time period. And you can see that has been low. So we're at a time right now where the insurance companies, while they're experiencing what this Kaiser Family Foundation study is representing, the potential for some higher record profits, they're also hedging into the future. There's a lot of unknowns. We'll mention a couple of those today. But as we head into 2021, it's, we got to keep that in mind. The insurance companies are looking to understand if there's an uptick, if there's a second wave. We'll talk about, I'm sure at some point today, the vaccine. Where, how does that factor into our decision-making, our planning, and the landscape for 2021? And at the same time, consolidation is occurring. And so keep in mind the healthcare market. We have major insurance carriers that own PBMs, prescription benefit managers. We also have pharma companies that own health plans. So there's a lot of consolidation going on. We have to factor all of these pieces in. And I'd certainly say that, and, I, and we'll talk a little bit today, I'm sure about multi-year planning and multi-year strategies. Well, certainly the status quo is not a successful game plan for the future. So we're gonna wanna keep an eye on all of these, whether it be legislative and trends in the marketplace. And we'll, we'll dive a lot deeper today um, and, and Jeff, I want to turn it over to you. Any thoughts you have on these topics? Yeah, no, thanks, Bob. You know, I kind of think back to when the ACA was first rolled out and a, a lot of us and a lot of businesses and employers thought that they were expecting the worst and thought it was just going to be nothing but bad. And there were some administrative challenges that came from that. And I'm not going to say it was all good. But if you remember now, the ACA actually ushered in um, what I would consider a new era of, of innovation. So, you know, it, it sort of it sort of pushed self-funding options and alternative funding options down market to smaller businesses. It really introduced the concept of uh, accountable care, uh, pay for value models uh, between the networks and the, the carriers and the uh, providers. And, and alternatives to the traditional network, like reference-based pricing, it really kind of, it, it, it spurred the, um, the movement toward um, uh, centers of excellence and episodic bundled payments, all things that the carriers have been and continue to work on to actually be innovative in ways to drive down cost while actually improving the quality of the member experience. So that's all good stuff that, that I would say was, was born from the ACA, much of it. And 
you know, to Bob's point, um, it's highly unlikely that the ACA is going to be completely dismantled. So but no matter what happens, um, you know, I'd go back to Bob, your last comment, which is we can't be comfortable with the status quo. I would say don't be complacent. Right. You've got all these forces that uh, that are sort of working against us that Bob mentioned. And those are real. We, we, we can't be we can't ignore those. But one thing's for sure, and that's that that we have to be we as as benefit brokers and as employers making these decisions that George was talking about earlier. We have to continue to be innovative and proactive. Great, thanks, guys. And, and we're going to come back to a couple of those topics a little bit more specifically. But Jeff, I want to I want to kind of turn this question to you because um, I know it's near and dear to your heart in Connecticut. Um, but, you know, another pretty burgeoning trend has been uh, at the state level. And I know earlier I said we're not going to get into too much state uh, level detail. And so you don't need to go into a lot of detail. But this whole idea idea of um, uh, the states enacting paid family leave act has become more and more of a common trend throughout the country. And I suspect with the, you know, the pandemic, um, these things are going to stick um, probably state by state. So can you just talk about some of your experiences uh, relative to these, um, you know, paid family leave act uh, state by state without going into the details and uh, too much? Yeah, well, we can't go into details, George, because every state is is just there's so much nuance to each state's programs and, and it would take us hours to go through it. So uh, we'll we'll spare everybody that. But you know, listen, there are obvious implications to to the basic uh, disability benefits that are part of your employee benefits program. It raises some questions. Right. How are these paid family leave laws going to impact your short-term disability policies and how are they going to coordinate with paid family leave? But probably more importantly, you know, absence management in general, I mean, it's, it's, it's very complex. And the point is it's getting more complex and it's just going to keep, it's just going to keep on in that, in that trend as more states and then sometimes specific cities implement their own version of, of paid family leave. So I would say step number one is this. If you're a large enough employer that, that you, can, uh, you can outsource your leave management uh, to, to somebody else, you, you really, if you haven't done that already, you should really think about doing that as soon as possible because it, it's, it will continue to get complex, as I said. And so kind of handing that off to experts that do that every day, all day is, is the best option. Uh, in my opinion. And if you can't outsource your leave management because there are there, there are employer, there are group size requirements and, and thresholds you have to be over, typically over a couple hundred lives. There are some um, some vendors that will go down to 50 lives for absence management. But, but if you can't do that, take the time to review your leave policies, your, your PTO, sick leave, maternity leave, disability insurance, it's all coordinating together as your as your absence management strategy and and begin to make sure that you that you have a strategy for how you're going to integrate these new paid family leave mandates into the mix into that that whole leave management mix great thanks jeff um so let's let's shift gears a little bit so both of you in kind of your opening uh discussions around the aca talked about 
self-funding, some of the innovation that came out of the ACA. Um, and we know that um, the carriers have come out with some pretty unique products around self-funding for groups that are pretty small. Um, there's lots of third-party administrators that do it, uh, captives and different network options. Jeff, you referenced reference-based pricing. Uh, Bob, you touched on the fact that, you know, there probably was a short term uh, advantage, a cash flow advantage for businesses that were self-funded this year, frankly, because they didn't pay for any claims in the early part of the pandemic because nobody was seeking out services. Now, that may come back. That may come back. And and, um, you had mentioned the carers are going to hedge a little bit on the conservative side. So who knows? That might come back and and, uh, impact these businesses that are self-insured. But there has been a pretty big advantage to being self-insured from a cash flow perspective this year. So as we're seeing self-funded trends come down market, um, as we're seeing different innovative solutions through the carrier and other entities out there like third-party administrators, talk, talk in a little bit more detail why, why, why the trend is happening, why it might make some sense for some groups that otherwise hadn't really thought about it a whole lot in prior years. Yeah, I definitely spent some time talking about with self-funding, a lot of the why. And George, you're right. I mean, this year, plans that were self-funded, um, they had some big wins. And it was really a factor of people couldn't leave their homes for elective procedures and a lot of that uh, care. So, you know, certainly a little bit of a different year. And often the question we get in talking to clients who are on that path as far as going to from fully insured to a self-funded plan is, Bob, I get that, but this is a different year. You know, that's not going to happen every year. God willing, it's not going to happen every year. So, what happens in normal years? What happens in a bad year? Um, And I want to call the attention too, because there's a a lot of the why we'll get into with self-funding, but I just want to call out over a long-term plan. So over many, many, many years, certainly self-funding has many more benefits over fully insured when you have the right risk and the appropriately designed plans. So even if we look at some bad years, and I'm actually gonna call your attention on this slide right here, as you can see. And what this particular model does, uh, this is a self-funded modeler illustration. So our one digital analytics teams have built these models. um, And certainly these are available. You can speak to your consultants. Um, We can specifically use these models on your group, on your population, with some of your claims experience to understand the feasibility of self-funding. But if you look at all of the right of this page, and this is a sample, the sample has about 110 or so people in the plan. And if you look on the right of the page, it's a good claims year. Okay, it's 2020, I understand that. I understand why it's better than a fully insured plan might be, right? Because one bar is fully insured and one bar is self-funded. Middle of the page is an average claims year. And that basically factors in with our our actuaries and all the details, all the claims we know, how when you factor all the different mixes in, an average year still has benefits overall compared to fully insured. And on the left is surprising in many cases where you say, well, it's a bad year, but it's pretty much the same as fully insured would be. And when you look at you factor in, for example, the risk of a bad year, but also the avoidance of some taxes, a lot of flexibility. It's not as bad as you would think. So when we talk about this, we talk about the many years, this is certainly a strategy that we see a lot of benefits to. And this slide just talks about it. It's not all 
well, what about a bad year? The bad years really are usually not as bad as we would expect when you properly design the plan. And we'll talk more about that. But let's talk why for a second, because everyone says with why, it's all right, I get it. With a self-funded plan or alternatively funded plan, there's more transparency, there's certainly more flexibility, you get better data, you can avoid a lot of premium taxes because generally the only premium, quote unquote, is stop loss premium. Um, more control, more savings, these are all things we often hear. But there's more than that. And this is why it's an important concept as we go into 2021. There are additional emerging and even some progressive opportunities to go self-funded. So let's talk about a few of these. Let's talk first about pharmacy. Right, you talk about the wide world of sports. Well, the wide world of, for, of, of pharmacy um, <laughs> is a lot to go into. We're not going to go that deep today, but I want to call your attention to a few different pieces around pharmacy. And specifically in this image in front of you, the right side of the page, half of the overall drug spend is specialty drugs. And of that, those Specialty drugs have quadrupled those claims in the last 12 years. So why is that important? We'll get to that. So we talk about pharmacy. We talk about rebate sharing. We talk about contract adherence. Um, you may have heard over the years, maybe a carrier approached you if you have a self-funded plan and said, tell you what, we're going to lower your admin fee. We're going to guarantee to lower your admin fee, but we're going to retain all the rebates. Is that good? Is it bad? How do you know? Well, if you're on in a fully insured plan, you're on the sidelines. You don't even have that discussion. You don't even have that choice in figuring it out. So this is one particular avenue where we certainly within our practices at One Digital are heavily involved in pharmacy and contracting and pricing and just how does it impact your plan? Again, on a fully insured basis, you're not even in the game to understand where are the opportunities there. And this slide talks about there are plenty of opportunities just within pharmacy. Yeah, Bob, Bob, just just to drive home that point or to you know state maybe this is really obvious, but uh, rest assured you're on the sidelines and there's no tra- if you're fully insured on the sidelines, no transparency. But rest assured that it, it's definitely the pharmacy pricing and the way that rebates are handled. This is a big profit source uh, for the carriers on a fully insured basis. So uh, you, you do know that there's one thing for sure. And, and that's that uh, the, the, the carriers are, are making out pretty well on the pharmacy deals uh, when it's baked into a fully insured program. Absolutely. Yeah. It's usually it's following that money trail as to where it all ties back. And yeah. our earlier comments around in the market with consolidation, who owns who, who has interests where, and understanding how they can keep more of those pieces under one roof. Um, I also want to call out it, self-funding is a bit of a springboard or a chassis. So again, as Jeff has mentioned, the fully insured spot, you're just there, you're along for the ride. But a lot of these progressive areas that we get into as part of the outlook for 2021 and beyond, everything from narrow networks. Jeff mentioned earlier, reference-based pricing, episodic bundles. These are all solutions and different tactics in the program that you can't do if you're fully insured. Um, Group captives. I want to talk about that for a few moments. So a group captive 
This is traditionally when you're fully insured, it's pretty self-explanatory. All the risks with the insurance company, it's fully insured. On a self-funded basis, there is risk because you're paying your own claims up to a certain point. You're purchasing stop loss. But generally, as that stop loss deductible comes down, which means you get less risk, the premium goes up. So a captive is a really neat model, whereas opposed to having either you pay your own claims or a reinsurer pays the claims over a certain level, which can get pricey, there's a middle layer. Middle layer is more for medium-sized claims that you're sharing that risk with other employers. So you can actually purchase stop loss at a higher level, which brings the premium down, and you can avoid some of that risk because you have the sharing of that risk, that middle of the road risk with some other employers in the captive. So it's a really neat concept, but guess what? You can't do it if you're fully insured. So a lot of these strategies, the first piece of that is beginning to move away from the, we often refer to it as in many cases, the hamster wheel. And we understand on this call, there are employers of all sizes. There are some that depending upon the state that you're in, uh, you can't self-fund. You know, New York's one of those states where you can't under 100 employees, you're unable to self-fund a program. Um, so we understand that. But certainly as we talk about going forward into 2021, where are some opportunities to weave in the strategic plan? And that's a whole important concept we talk about too, where a multi-year plan, a multi-year strategy likely includes a funding vehicle early on and progresses down the road over years. It's not like a magic silver bullet and you pull the trigger and everything is great. It's a step in the progression, but often that first step, depending upon your risk, the state that you're in, your population, all those various factors that your consultant can go through with you, often that self-funding vehicle or alternatively funding vehicle is one step, one of the initial steps to be able to have what? To have longer term stability and to be beating trend. And that's the name of the game, to be able to have stability over time. Hey, hey Bob, if I could just add, you know, one of the other things that self-funded is a springboard for or allows for is uh, you, you can even carve out um, you can even carve out and go find best in class member services and health navigation and patient advocacy. Uh, this is this is gaining popularity um, and uh, because it's healthcare is confusing to people and navigating through the healthcare system and then the insurance is very difficult. And so that's that's another, uh, I think, big advantage of being self-funded is being able to do that best in class, not just in stop loss and not, and not just in you know, going and finding the best pharmacy benefits manager, but even finding the best service that you can get for your employees that would include more than just answering questions about benefits and mailing a new ID card, but really helping people find their way successfully through the through the healthcare system. Good point. It's a great point, Jeff. Yeah, really, really great points all around, guys. I mean, just uh, the whole idea of self insurance to me is just if if you folks on on the call are not 
looking into this stuff, you absolutely should be because there's just a ton of long-term advantages. So great job, guys. Good overview. Um, so look, I'm going to call this kind of our, our rapid uh, rapid fire round. Okay. So we've been getting some questions that kind of tie into what we were going to talk about. So I'm going to kind of tee up a topic uh, for you guys, and then I'll we'll, we'll have one of you answer it, and then we'll kind of keep moving through maybe three or four things that we're seeing uh, right now. So, so Bob, I'm going to come, come back to you here. Um, so, so I'm a, you know, I'm an underwriter by trade. I like to dig into the claims data and, and, you know, this is a, this is something that we saw before the pandemic, you know, when we dug into the, the claim details, there was an uptick in claims associated with mental health and substance abuse. So depression, anxiety, bipolar disorder, you know, these claims didn't often rise to the level of a high claimant. So they might not have been the most prominent claims, but to your point earlier about specialty drugs, there were a lot of very special, uh, very uh, high volumes of specialty drugs that were being taken by people. So obviously the COVID-19 situation has exacerbated that. So I'm gonna tee you up with a few few uh, stats here. So there was a study done by a mental health provider called Ginger. Nearly seven in 10 employees indicated that the pandemic has been the most, the most stressful time of their entire professional career. Which, which obviously aligns with um, a really stark increase in new, new prescriptions for antidepressants, anti-anxiety, and anti-insomnia medications. Among those who reported in the study, 62% noted losing at least one hour a day of pro- productivity at work. 32% said they lost two hours of productivity at work uh, due to COVID-19 related stress. Um, another survey real quick that we looked at, the Express Script survey called America's State of Mind Report, highlighted that from February 16th to March 15th of 2020, just a month earlier this year, prescriptions filled per week for antidepressants, anti-anxiety and anti-insomnia medications increased by 21%. And of that 21%, 78% of those three medications that were prescribed were new cases. So that's a concern. That's a problem, not just glo- globally, probably. And right. but you know, as businesses are looking to you know figure out what to do with their employees. So Bob, talk about you know this whole sort of mental health um, concern that's out there these days. Yeah, it's a big concern, and, and it's you know it, not surprising after living through what we have for the last I mean, almost nine months or so. Um, you know, I'll never forget George. You, you and I were in Atlanta with colleagues in the middle of March. And I remember we were all at dinner one night when the alerts started coming through. They canceled the NBA season. You couldn't travel overseas. So it was all of a sudden when we flew home the next day, that was it. That was the lockdown. And at that point, especially in New York, which was hit early on, the shutdown was obviously, you know, from an employee perspective, thinking about this for the employees you have as a business leader or, or, or an HR practitioner, what happened back then? Well, all right, the lockdown occurred, but we're going into spring. It's going to be a few weeks. We'll, we'll get there. Then it was going into summer and the weather was still nice and people were outside. And we started to certainly see an uptick in mental health. But what are we seeing right now? Well, all of a sudden, the clocks changed a few weeks ago. Uh, in a lot of the country, the leaves changed also. And it's like, wham, it's Thanksgiving in a couple of weeks. This is a very different Thanksgiving. And as a business or an HR leader, let's not minimize the impact that that has on the mental health of your workplace. Um, We're also seeing that more and more employees turn to their employer 
for everything, everything health to wealth. Uh, they view everything as part of the benefits package. You know, and therefore, we really have to make sure as part of our 2021 outlook that we've got strategies around mental health, especially as we go into winter. And as we flip that page there, there's that ginger uh, study that George mentioned, 69% of workers. This is the most stressful time in their career. You know, that is something, and I'll, I'll turn to Jeff in a second. I want to get your take on some mental health, even technologies and some of the virtual nature. Um, but this is important. I mean, th this is something that is part of an outlook for next year. You know, they, you know, COVID fatigue, right? COVID fatigue abnormal is the new normal, you know, kind of scary. Um, you know, we're, we're finding that there are all kinds of reports that initially there were some productivity gains. A lot of studies have indicated that that was somewhat out of fear, just pure adrenaline. And that quickly moved into plateau and then even decline. And your employees and all the studies we've seen and, and we've even done quite a bit of surveying, people are working longer days, taking more meetings, um, you know, in specific, NordVPN, which is a virtual private network provider, uh, they found, because they're seeing access to corporate systems, that the average workday has increased almost 40%. That's three hours a day. So this is certainly something with mental health. We have to focus on this as part of our outlook, because this is not just a byproduct. Remember, employees are looking to their employer for more and more and more and more. And their overall well-being is certainly part of that dynamic. And, and Jeff, I'm curious any of your thoughts or takes on that um, and even how maybe some access to care too in this world. Well, hey, let me chime, let me chime in real quick, Bob, because I want to I talk about just real quick a couple of things you said. So that trip back from Atlanta, first time in many years where I actually had a whole row of seats to myself both ways. So <laughs> trying to look at a little half full. Um, and obviously I live in Connecticut, so it's, it's getting dark here early and the leaves are falling. So, <laughs> Check off the list. <laughs> but, um, anyway, sorry, Jeff, I didn't mean to cut you off, but let me, let me, before, before you go, Jeff, I think you're going to hit on a couple of telemedicine things. Let me, let me, let me tee you up here for your, your comments. Okay. Um, the CDC reported recently, um, that during the first quarter of 2020, the number of telehealth visits, so virtual, you know, visits increased by 50% compared to the same period of time in 2019. Um, HHS has re reported, and this, this I find fascinating, that half, almost half um, of Medicare primary visits were done um, virtually um, it, up until April 2020 compared to less than 1% at the same time last year. So from 1%, I'm sorry, earlier, early in there. So from 1% or less than that, almost 50% for a Medicare population. I find that fascinating. Um, and then just the last point I would make here real quick is Fortune Business reports that the global telemedicine market, so companies like Teladoc as an example, um, that market size stood at $34 billion in 2018. Right now it's projected to reach 185 billion, billion with a B, by 2026, kind of outlining kind of what's going to happen in terms of growth in this in this segment. So, you know, listening to what Bob was talking about, you know, mental health and some of the other things you're seeing, talk about this concept of virtual medicine or telemedicine. Yeah. yeah and, be, you know, and I'm going to answer that, George. I, I do want to go back to the behavioral health. And I, I did have one comment to make uh, about that. It, even before COVID, 
a lot of people would say that there was a there was a behavioral health mental health crisis in this country and and one thing to keep in mind is that you know if there is undiagnosed or untreated mental health, then the whole health of that individual suffers. And folks who have uh, untreated or and or undiagnosed mental health conditions are, are, are they they cost in total for their total health care spend uh, somewhere between three and five times more than those the, the, who are successfully um, uh, who are successfully being treated for whatever mental health uh, situations they might be going through. And so it's, it's this total, it's this whole health situation, behavioral health and physical health are so connected. And I think we have to remember that, uh, as well. So, but, uh, listen, it's not surprising that people have both registered for and used their telemedicine and virtual health benefits in record numbers since the onset of COVID. Um, and I would say the key here now is to keep the momentum going. So, you know, I think that employers should really be putting these low cost solutions, low cost care solutions front and center in their benefit communications, maybe even incentivizing telemedicine usage within a, a, a wellness incentive program if you have one. Okay, but but the theme, there's a common theme here. Don't get complacent. We don't want to take a step backwards when when life begins to get back to normal, right? And go back to inappropriate emergency room or urgent care usage when folks can get their care telephonically or, or virtually uh, in, a, in a very, very effective way. And um, so for me, the theme is the theme is really going forward not looking back, hey, yeah, a, a great, a, a great uh, a silver lining, another silver lining in the COVID cloud, uh, but, but we have to look forward and, and, and drive that continued usage of those alternative sites of service. Great, great point, Jeff. We're, we're going to come back. We're going to close out with that last point you made. Um, but but let's, let's stay with you for a minute here while we're kind of on virtual. So, you know, I obviously, you know, I've seen surveys and I've kind of joked around a little bit about in the past, you know, when, when people do go through their annual open enrollment process, like it's very common for people to spend just a few minutes making decisions that are, that are pretty big for their families, you know, choosing their health insurance plans and things like that. Um, and, um, you know, we know that, even even before the pandemic, the, the whole remote working situation was sort of globally kind of increasing. Obviously, COVID has exacerbated that quite a bit. So as we kind of stay on this idea of virtual, talk a little bit about you know, moving away from kind of the traditional, you know, live open enrollment meetings, communication meetings, health fairs, things like that, into more of a... Um, you know, virtual, uh, you know, situation with with a lot less less paper. Well, yeah, I mean, the COVID has been a, a catalyst for creative uh, electronic and virtual communications to employees, uh, and and especially related to annual open enrollment. So, with with very few exceptions, George, you know, employees want and expect communication to be paperless and processes to be paperless. And so, you know, in our office, we've been almost exclusively paperless in our open enrollment processes with our with our customers since March. Uh, we've deployed some really cool virtual tools, and the feedback from both 
the HR teams that we work with, but also the employees has been overwhelmingly positive. Again, this is what people expect these days. They don't want in-person meetings. They don't want paper. Uh, they they want to be living in the twenty. We're in the twenty first century, so you know we, we've we've uh, we've sort of been forced to catch up uh, in the in the benefits communication world because we can't have these in person meetings. And it's it's a good thing. It's it's exactly what employees want. It gives them a better experience uh, during open enrollment and, and one that they expect and prefer. So I'm going to say it again. Sorry to be a dead horse. But don't go backwards after this, right? Don't don't let it slip back to in-person meetings and printed benefit guides and worse yet, paper enrollment. You know, uh, uh, stick with it. Stick with it. Stay with the virtual. Stay with the the digital because it it's what your employees want. Yeah, great, great point, Jeff. I think it really comes down to inertia. You know, it's kind of like something people really want. It's hard to kind of take that that leap of faith. But when they do, they're kind of like, man, why didn't I do this 10 years ago? So great, great points. Um, all right, Bob, last piece of this, our, this rapid fire round here. Um, and, and this is a, this is a toughie that I'm going to throw out to you, Bob. All right. So obviously you guys both know this. I mean, there's lots of questions around how is COVID-19 going to impact my health plan from a claim standpoint in terms of people getting services, the testing that goes along with it first wave versus potentially a second wave. We've got a vaccine on the horizon, you know, knock on wood, hopefully pretty soon. So just just talk about, you know, what these folks can uh, expect uh, in terms of, you know, renewal costs, claim costs, things like that related to COVID. Sure. And as best you know, as you can. <laughs> the, uh, I got like a spino, my, the crystal ball out. Um, the COVID costs themselves, I think everyone thinks automatically we discuss COVID on a health plan cost. They're thinking directly as far, is it going to be an uptick in claims, hospitalizations? You know, what does that mean? And we heard last week, um, or a lot of news last week, we heard last week that uh, we've seen the most hospitalizations in this country uh, since last six months. Uh, we also heard that the Pfizer vaccine and the clinical trials is about 90% effective. So a lot of news is coming out. But aside from the traditional cost of an uptick, hospitalizations, everything that we've experienced already in 2020, there's other pieces too. You know, testing is a big one. You know, testing is one where plenty of employers now are saying, all right, we, we have to start to get back to the workforce but we have to test employees. We have to figure out how to do that. Well, there are real costs there of testing, even thermometers, attestation apps that they're using, uh, even physical barriers in the workplace. You know, New Jersey, uh, Governor Murphy last week um, did an executive order two weeks ago, an executive order that was about in the workplace, what needs to happen to get back into the workforce. So when you look at all these pieces and realize that insurance companies are not going to be covering testing to come back to work. If you have symptoms, yes, some states and some local governments have testing sites that wouldn't you know, incur a cost. But if you're testing employees to come back to your workforce, that is a new cost that your plan is not likely covering at all. Whether you're fully insured or not doesn't make a difference. That's a real cost. Vaccines is something as well. So vaccines is interesting. And we mentioned even earlier about you know, once they're widely available, there'll be a complete cadence, healthcare workers, frontline workers first, highly at risk. 
But ultimately, as it starts to come downstream to the entire population, and assuming the Affordable Care Act is still intact, which I'm sure it likely will be, um, let's talk about that. So there's zero copay for the employee. So your members, it's considered a preventive, uh, it's an immunization. So there's no copay for that. We also heard indications early on that there's a likely or high likelihood that the federal government will, if not outright pay, subsidize the cost of the vaccine. Doesn't meet administration of that, the doctor, the nurse acquiring it. So there still can be some costs there. But ultimately, as an employer, we got to think about that. We got to think about that whole piece because it's going to be cost, time, no copay for the no copay for the employee. But ultimately, there will be a real cost for vaccine, for testing, no matter what ends up happening with COVID for the actual disease itself on your claims experience. These are some other kind of beneath the surface items as well. And I think, you know, hopefully you can see my earlier point that this is why we have to stay on top of multi-year planning. Now, let's not take a year off and say, all right, it was a wacky year. We'll just leave things, everything exactly, exactly as is. But this is why, you know, we likely in 2021 are going to be incurring different types of costs and we have to be aware of that. So, you know, that, that's something I think we mentioned earlier. The status quo is not a good long-term strategy. And these are a couple examples with COVID as we're experienced as to every part of your business it can touch beyond the obvious. Thanks, Bob. Okay, let, let's do one more topic. We'll give, we'll give you guys an opportunity to give your closing thoughts. And then um, we'll see if there's a question or two from, from the folks on the, on the call. Um, so, Bob, I'm going to stay with you here. And I'm just going to tee this up this way. So, in the beginning, I talked about employees looking for more information. Uh, they're looking for um, health health insurance, uh, financial services that are going to bring them security, stability, financial security, etc. So there has been this movement and this convergence of health plan and health insurance related benefits, as well as retirement services that we're seeing in the marketplace um, for those reasons. Um, you know, a majority of employees probably were unprepared for an extended uh, economic downturn um, before the pandemic, right? In a very fragile state. Um, we looked at a PwC report recently uh, that noted um, before the pandemic, 60% of employees in the U.S. said they were financially stressed out. Um, now, nine in 10 Americans feel anxious about money. Okay, so so pretty quickly, health insurance and financial services have kind of merged together. So talk a little bit about this emerging trend of this convergence of health and wealth for a minute or two. Yeah, when we started to look at some of even the questions for this session, we saw a lot of patterns uh, as, as really talking about different disciplines. And the questions weren't necessarily as focused exactly on an employee benefit. But as you just mentioned, George, tapping into a little bit of wealth and financial planning and how do I communicate to my employees? What's the overall experience? So I want to put an image up. This image is called the Employee Benefits Outlook. And you'll see in the right of the page, this, this circular image uh, of, of what goes around each of these various disciplines. And I think it's really the way we look at it. Um, you'll see a little on the left, that little text box. Um, certainly, if this year has taught us anything at all, it's that we're seeing that the convergence of health and wealth, along with HR and along with the employee experience, 
is all part of that workforce strategy. And everything, as you can see in the image, everything touches everything else. You can't have benefits without that financial aspect. How does the employee interact on that? What's their experience, whether it be communication, as George and Jeff mentioned, some virtual strategies, how is human resources involved? So this really is the complete totality of the benefits and we say benefits, it's really the convergence of all of these disciplines more and more. And I think this year has showed us all of those various pieces. So when we're planning our 2021 outlook and strategies, let's think deeper. Let's go beyond the typical, you know, of yesteryear. I'll tweak a copay. The trend is to do this on plan design. We look deeper. And this is certainly an area of focus that we should be talking about and you should, with your consultants, be talking about making this front of mind. Great, great point, Bob. All right. So, hey, look, you, you guys have said these comments, pretty consistent comments throughout. So let, let's wrap up here with what I'm going to call a call to action to the folks on the call. Right. You guys know we, we hear this comment from a lot of our, our, our customers and from businesses. You know, it's been a very difficult year for everybody. And a lot of our business uh, customers will say something like, yeah, you know, we don't really want to do too much next year. You know, our employees have been through a lot this year, the pandemic, they might've lost their job partially or um, for some extended period of time. Um, the president, the presidential election has been a little stressful at times. So there has been a lot going on in 2020. And so it's easy to gravitate away from what you guys have been saying and say, well, let's just kind of go with the status quo for next year. So we don't impact our employees a whole lot. So just to sort of make your pitch again, because you guys have said this a couple of times and Jeff, we'll start with you. Yeah. You know, what are some recommendations to the folks on the phone that might be thinking that? Like, we don't really want to do anything different. It's been tough, but we kind of know that it might be an opportunity to really challenge that status quo and be more bold maybe than, than you know, I otherwise would have been under these situations. Yeah, frankly, this is exactly when you need to be bold in your benefits program. When you're when running a business is harder than ever and the financial strain on the business is severe, the strain of COVID. And so, yeah, listen, people are generally afraid of change. People generally don't like change. People generally don't want a new uh, medical ID card in their wallet. But if the business depends on it and you're communicating the change back to communication, if we're communicating the change and importantly, the reasons for the change effectively, it's going to be okay. Your employees, they want your business to succeed and controlling benefit costs is essential to the, to the success of your business. And it's okay to, to, Tell your employees that, you know, I'm a big believer. And I think kind of, you know, everyone on this uh, on this uh, webinar would agree that transparency is good in your communication, your employees. So be transparent. Tell them that. Remember, there's not the typical get what you pay for phenomena in healthcare. Better healthcare costs actually less than bad healthcare because it eliminates waste and mistakes and drives good clinical outcomes the first time. So really, uh, what you want to do is deploy strategies that are going to help your employees navigate successfully through the healthcare system, manage their health and well-being, have the best clinical outcomes, and avoid unnecessary and costly inefficiencies. In healthcare, you know, a better member experience and a better clinical outcome actually help tamp down trend. So 
what's what's good for the employer is also good for the employee and vice versa here. So bottom line is this, say it again, you have to reject the status quo now more than ever. And I think that there's one thing you can expect and that's your your one digital team to, to keep encouraging you to, to keep your foot on the gas there. Great, thanks Jeff. How about you, Bob? Yeah, I agree with a lot of what Jeff said. And I think, you know, just to echo a few comments, you know, developing the plan and staying the course. So develop that multi-year strategic plan. You might have to alter it. We get it. We've lived through 2020. It's not over yet. Um, but keep in mind my comment earlier on that vaccine, that whole concept that even good news of getting a vaccine, there are going to be costs associated that no one really thought much about certainly a year ago. So not the year or not a time to take a time out and just completely stay the course, as Jeff mentioned, status quo, um, but really continuing down that path. Um, you know, I, I tell the story often where a client of a couple of years ago, client came and said to us and said, listen, I want to, over the course of several years, let's put a path together. I want to be able to flatten my trend and control more of my costs. And we started, they were fully insured. We started over time. We changed the funding. We changed the plan design over time. We worked on different strategies to fill in some of the high deductible health plan costs. And over the course of about three year period that was mapped out, we called it, build it and they will come. That's what it was. We built a plan, we built a solution. The employees were happy with the plan over time as it evolved, but that didn't happen in one year. And that's the takeaway. This is something where we can't just take a passive year and just completely leave or abandon that plan. But we have to develop the plan, adapt it as need be, but stay the course for a multi-year strategy with the ultimate goal of having sustainable, healthy benefit plans that are not going to be up years and down years. We want to be able to flatten it and control it. Great. Well, folks, that's a call to action from two experts in the field. Um, I, I would just say, uh, you know, one other comment I would say, you know, it's the old adage is always true. You know, the only constant is change. And certainly this year has been a, a, a year of tremendous change. And I thought, Jeff, you, you said it well. You said it twice in your in your final call to action there. It's it's going to be OK. You know, just just do it. Take take the risk and it'll be OK. Um, all right. Thanks, guys. In the interest of time, uh, we'll just take two quick questions and I'll just I'll just respond to them. Um, I tried to kind of go through the questions and, and pick some that we haven't talked about, um, but I'll, I'll just hit these two real quick and then we'll wrap. Um, so the first question is, where can we get more information um, or fall developments of the ACA or post-election benefits impact, which we knew would be a common question? Uh, so the simple answer, folks, is that um, just just go to the one digital website, check out our hub there. Um, we had a session last uh, Last week, our vice president of compliance and regulatory affairs um, did a session on, on all of that. So that's there now. And we'll continually put um, emerging information out on the hub. So that's going to be a great resource for you to continue to um, check out. Um, the second question is, what is the typical size uh, of a group uh, to begin exploring self-funding? So I think both Jeff and, and Bob hit on this, but I wanted to make sure we accentuated it before we wrap here. It, it does depend a little bit on the state because there are some rules in states that make it a little bit more difficult for others. But um, certainly if you're 100 employees or more, um, it's, it's a very viable option these days to look at self-funded or some sort of alternative funding as you're kind of thinking about your strategic plan as Bob laid out. But honestly, um, there are some self-funded 
products for the uh, for the employers who have less than 100 employees as well. In some instances, in some states, you go down to like five or 10 employees. So as we mentioned at the beginning, the ACA really did usher in a lot of innovation around some of these things like self-funding. So definitely explore it with your one digital consultant. And we'd be more than happy to talk about the pros and cons of things like self-funded, no matter what size you are. Okay. So in conclusion, Jeff, Bob, thank you guys so much for your expert thoughts and guidance. It was real, real helpful. I, I think for me, uh, me too, and hopefully for everybody on the phone, uh, everybody on the on the phone and the webinar, thank you for your time today. We really appreciate it. Um, as I just noted, and we mentioned throughout the session, these are tough times. Um, please know that, that we've got your back. We're, we're putting out content on our um, website all the time about the ACA, et cetera. Our local teams are there to support and guide you through these uncertain times and do the strategic planning that Bob just talked about. So please don't hesitate to reach out to us for guidance and support. Um, once again, um, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, be safe, be healthy, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Have a great day.